Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 474. Another special Israel at War edition. Good Yomtev. By the conclusion of Yutesh Chav Kislev, the Chaga Geula of the Alter Rebbe, 225 years ago, the year 1798, Tov Kuf Nuntes, the Alter Rebbe was arrested, false charges, but nevertheless arrested, and for 53 days was in prison, and finally was freed. So how appropriate in dealing with the battles of our time to invoke and to draw strength from that battle. We also are in the week of Hanukkah, another battle and another victory. So all that will be part of our discussion in this special edition. This program is dedicated in loving memory of Miriam Baselio Altes, Allah Shalom, and Emerita Baruch ben Yaman ben Menuchalana Altes, Yakusil ben Leir Rochel, Rochel Bas Libafak is dedicated by Pinchas Tadris, by Miriam and Sarah Bas Rochel Altes. So the war wages on, sadly. The enemies have not been eradicated yet. We all pray and hope with our hearts and souls for those soldiers that sacrifice themselves every moment to protect and defend the innocent men, women, and children in our holy land. God should protect them, release all the hostages unscathed, and may there be finally permanent shalom on Yisrael, a shalom in the whole world. But as we have been speaking about week after week, based on the fundamental principle that we are not bystanders. In the words of the Rambam, when a catastrophe, when something happens, and you are a witness and you are aware of it, it would be cruel and insensitive, achzarius, to see it as a random event. It's a wake-up call of introspection, soul-searching, doing whatever we can, coupled with the military side of the war, the spiritual side of the war which is our involvement. So we need to mobilize ourselves as soldiers and therefore a program like this, My Life Chassidus Apply, take Chassidus, Teda, everything we've learned, everything we know, and apply it to the situation on the ground. And it's all a big partnership, meaning different forces, different departments, all combining to ultimately vanquish and eliminate all threats, all evil, and bring in a much greater good than ever before, and ultimately the goodness of Mashiach and the Geula itself. That's the Jewish approach, and that's what's always worked for thousands of years. And we're here now, so we have a tremendous role to play in our own clarity, in our own commitment, conviction, are proactive, reaching out to others. As we see happening in the world today, and those of you following this program see that we've been doing this now since right after Simchas Teda. This is the platform. 
I use all my abilities to fulfill this very mission. And hopefully each of you will do exactly the same, each in our own unique way. Okay. So with that, let's structure in some organized manner. Many, many questions have come in. Simply just too much to handle in one program. So I'm trying to compartmentalize them, to separate them, to scatter them, so to speak. But always beginning with the most timely, and that is the events that are happening right now. The fact that we're coming from Yutes and Chov Kislev, Chag Gaula, where the Alter Rebbe had to face his ad- adversaries and came out victorious. The fact that later in this week will be Hanukkah, which is yet another battle. So these are not just... Um, historical events, they give us tremendous power. We learn from them, we draw from them. So let's begin with that. Essentially, with the number one issue being how Yutas Kislev provides us with strength and direction in these trying times. And then we'll move over to Hanukkah simply in order of the weekly events. So as I mentioned, and let's elaborate a bit more, Yutas Kislev took place in the Tsarist Russia. Russia at the time was at war with um, the Ottoman Empire, Turkey, and those enemies of the Alter Rebbe, which is another discussion of its own, informed on the Alter Rebbe that he was being treasonous by supporting Turkey, which was the archenemy of the Tsar, in what fashion? Because Eretz Yisrael, the promised land at the time, was under their control. So the Alter Rebbe was sending Tzedakah to Eretz Yisrael, as we know. There were chassidim of the Alter Rebbe that, that went there. So that was like supporting the enemy. Obviously, is unfounded, but that was the way it was positioned. And also the Alter Rebbe himself was a leader and seen and described to the people of the Tsar as a threat to the Tsar's rule and monarchy. That was the ostensible reason. But as I said before about catastrophes and tragedies, nothing is just ostensible. The Alter Rebbe and the Chassidim saw this as a challenge in heaven to the way he was spreading Chassidus. He was explaining it, Chabad, in a way that even the animal soul, even the very, the very human intelligence that's engaged and involved in material life could also understand the divine. And this was a big thing because this is how you bring Mashiach, how you bring Geula, by transforming the world. So there will always be resistance and pushback. And that was the real meaning behind it. So then 53 days later when he was vindicated and was released, exonerated from all the charges, it was seen as also a sign from heaven that his method is also vindicated, that not only did he continue, but as the Basham Tov and the Magi told the Alter Rebbe, even more than ever before, Yafutsam Anisachachutsa, the spreading of the wellsprings outward. This program wouldn't exist were it not for you, and neither would any of the teaching of Siddhas that we have today in ways that have transformed thousands, millions of lives and transform the very world in which we live, all due to this day. 
So you see how a setback, how an enemy brought out the greatest strengths. The Rebbe Rashab says it's difficult to say, but Yitzhak Kislev was like Zayis, the oil, the, the olive. Doesn't produce oil until you press it. So he says, it's hard to say because we're talking about the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe being the olive, the pressure, the challenge, being in prison. You can imagine the anguish involved in that. Brought out the deepest oil of the Primus Atera, Rosin de Rosin, which is compared to oil. Pure oil, from which we light the menorah. What that tells us is that the battles we're facing today with the adversaries of our time, the same is true. That at the moment, things can be painful. There have been losses, tragic losses, and we don't minimize that. But the story is that all of this will lead to the production of such oil that has never, ever been produced. We see it already. You see the, the love, the unity, the efforts. I mean, were it not for the painful events, this would be like one of the most noblest and glorious moments in our history. And obviously we want to maintain that. And what we want to have is a distant memory of the pain. And the only thing that should shine would be the oil that was produced. So firstly, it's a lesson in hope that we've been here already before. That's not a comfort necessarily that we've been here, but not that we've been here and we have not just survived but thrived. And the mere fact that it was a challenge connected to Eretz Yisrael, because they were accusing of the Alter Rebbe of supporting Eretz Yisrael, which was, so to speak, the enemy. If you think deeper, in a way it was the enemy. But not the way they thought. It wasn't because he was supporting Turkey or the Ottoman Empire. He was supporting Jews that were struggling in the Holy Land. But the Holy Land represents the antithesis and the alter ego and the diametric opposite of a material world, of an arrogant czar and his empire. So in a way, it was a threat. It was the threat that the Alter Rebbe, like Mordechai before him, would not bow. He's answered to a higher calling, to a higher God. Like Mordechai would not bow to Haman. That was the real threat. But it's not a threat that would in any way disturb the Tsar if he understood it. It was because it was essentially the Alter Rebbe is bringing Getlachite into the world. And Getlachite is a threat. Godliness is a threat to a world that wants to worship itself and its own power and its own wealth and its own material strength. And But who prevailed? Alter Rebbe. And today there's no longer Tsarist Russia, but we have Chassidus. We have seven generations of it. To go into a little more specifics, so let's talk about the details. So we know when the Alter Rebbe says, when he heard about the release, when he was told that he would be released, he was in the middle of saying, the third day of the week, Tuesday, the capital until in Podavishalam Nafshi Mikrovli. So what is the significance of the Alter Rebbe saying that? So we know that the Rabbeim explained to us and many my modern connected to you Teskislavar, this Posik and Tehillim. Podavishalam Nafshi Mikrovli. 
my soul was redeemed in peace from Ikrov, from the word Krov is from battles, from my enemies, from my wars. And the, and the intention is Bishalom. Because you can come out of a battle, you can be victorious, but it was with a real battle. And blood was shed, God forbid. And lives were lost. The Al Tareb's case, it was Bishalom. Yes, he did have anguish and did have plenty of pain during those 53 days, but he came out intact. And that's the ultimate goal. As Chassidus explains that there's two ways to have a poda, a pidyon. Pidyon is also the word pidyon for him for the release of hostages. Prisoners could be a pidyon, not b'shalom or mechama. Could be a pidyon b'shalom. And that's what the goal is. It should be menuche in a peaceful way. I understand that today we can't say it's complete b'shalom because there have been lives lost. People injured, plenty of pain. But our hope is that it should end up being in the fullest possible way. So as someone wrote, is it significant that the Alter Rebbe was notified he was being released right before he said the words nafshi in Tehillim? Is there a lesson here that Hashem sends the redemption even before, even, even before you daven for it? Can we apply a similar idea to the current war that Hashem will redeem us in peace and peace will be restored in Israel? Absolutely. Is it exactly in the same fashion? No, not necessarily. But the overall picture, absolutely. So, Nafshi. And as the Rebbe would bring often the Gemara in Barachas, Nafshi. And how do we experience that? Through Teira, Vedig Mils Chasodim. Like he says, Kola Esik, Betera Vilmot Kilu Podaani Li, Ulubane Mi Bain Umeseilam. How do you free yourself from the clutches? of the nations that attack us is through Teda Aveda Gmilz Hasadim, the three pillars. And that indeed right there tells you that part of the war is those three things, Teda Aveda Gmilz Hasadim. Yes, we have to fight a physical war. That's part of the reality on the ground. Just like Yaakov prepared himself for actual war, he didn't have to end up fighting the war, thank God. It was enough, the matana, the appeasement, the bribe, the gift he gave, together with his prayer. We too need Teda Ved Chasam together with the battles that have to be fought. So there you have one of, the, one of the lessons, both the lesson of hope and knowing that we will prevail and also the method of how we will prevail. Because when you learn Teda and you dive and you pray and you give Gemil Chasam, then that's a Padiyah B'Sholem. You're not going with a physical sword. Those are spiritual weapons. So that adds the ability for those fighting the actually the war on the ground, the physical sense, that they too should be empowered with a spiritual power that gives even more strength to eliminate the enemy with the least amount of loss and the most amount of shalom. Ultimately, the ultimate shalom. So another person asked, what can we derive from the Tanya we learn these days? So we know that in this structure of Chitas, Chumash and Tanya, so we conclude the Tanya right before Yutas Kislev, on the 18th of Kislev, and then we begin from the beginning on the 19th of Kislev. 
So someone writes, toward the end of the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe gives us a suggestion for what is the best way to daven with a group. Can we ask Rabbi Jacobson to please give a review of this? Because even though there's no wrong way to daven and Hashem hears every prayer during these dark days of war, if we can accomplish more by davening the best possible way, then we should certainly try to do so. So let's talk both the end of Tanya and the beginning of Tanya because they're both in these days. So indeed, in the end, the last simon, the last section from Quintus Achen, where he talks about a very heartfelt way of how prayer has to be done properly and he's hearing it's not proper. How it has to be in unison, coordinated, a synergy. And the one who's leading the prayer shouldn't go too fast, shouldn't go too slow, and should pray with kavona, not just get up there and just lead. At a very basic level. Why? Because prayer is a Vedic Shabbalava, as he says, from the Gemara. Service of the heart. When you speak from your heart, you have to speak in a certain way. You don't just do it in a flippant way. So the first very basic lesson is, yeah, davening like a mensch, davening the way a person should daven. A little more patience, not rushing. I remember meeting someone years ago, first time he ever came to Ashul. And he saw that right after davening, everyone ran out. And this was a person who had never davened in a, in a, in a regular shul. He said to me, these words he said, it would seem to me that they should be running into the shul and not wanting to leave so fast. They're in such a holy environment. Why are they running out so fast? You know, you run to things that are important to you. So I understand people have to go to work and other things, and I explained that to him. But it was just a, a hergish that I think worthwhile sharing. Now Tereb says, that's the focus. So of course, in a time like this when we're davening, so every tefillah accounts in any way you can say with a minion, without a minion, individually saying tehillim. But very fitting, Al Tareb is saying it's one of the three things teira ve'edikimil chasadin that brings pardevishal. Then comes the beginning of Tanya. The beginning of Tanya, we start right away with the sharblot, the cover page. That this sefer, which melukat mipi seferim mipi svarim, is biyusa, is founded on, based on. The verse that says that this thing, Teirah Mitzvah, is, is relevant to you in your mouth, in your speech, in your heart, and in your actions. These three I've often referred to thought, speech, and action. You can also say it's connected to Teirah Vedimus Chasad. Teirah is thought, learning. The Vavcha is heart. And learning with the mind is also Beficha. You speak with the Bartabom, with the heart of prayer. And La Seise, Maisim Tevith, Gemilis Chasod. And Eichu Karav Ma'id. Come to explain in the Vayat Hetev how it's Karav, how is it indeed relevant? The Derecharucha Ktsarabezus Hashem is Baruch. So part of any battle and every war is also the psychological part of us focusing and aligning and mobilizing our faculties to be directed 
toward achieving the intended goal. And when you're talking about Nishmosa Daraisa, Primus Ateda, you're talking about a tremendous power, the Shamadika power, that's far more stronger than any material force. And all that comes together and gives us strength in times like this. How can we improve our prayers based on the last section in Tanya? So that we answered that question just before. Just see if there's any other questions about this part, this section. I think that covers that. So now let's move to Hanukkah. Obviously much more can be said, but in our brief time here, let's try to concentrate things. So how does Hanukkah provide us with strength and direction in these trying times? The answer is exactly the same idea. And that's why, indeed, Hanukkah comes right after Yutas Kislev. I mentioned before that Zayis, the oil, and that's what Hanukkah is. We celebrate through the oil, through the miracle of the oil that was preserved after a war, after the defiling and the desecration of the temple and the menorah and the, and the altar and the, and the Mizbeach. And they found one crucible of pure olive oil. And that shined and that was lit and burned for eight days miraculously. So the question of Siddhis asks, but Hanukkah was a battle, it was a war. It was the Maccabees against Antiochus and the Greeks. It was an actual war. That's why we say in Allah Nisim, Rabbim ba'ad ma'atim, the many fell into the hands of the few, the mighty into the hands of the weaker. It was a real battle. So why don't we make any, there's no mention of any war. How do we do it? We talk about something that was a result of the war. Because they won the war, they were able to then cleanse and clean up and rededicate the temple and light the menorah. Says the Alter Rebbe, the Balagula of Yitzchak Kislev. Because what was the war about? The war was about Kinev Mitzvah Vitera Eir. It wasn't a war over the Gashmis. It says in Levush that put him, Homer wanted a push to kill the Jews, but Gashmis, The war there was not a war to kill Jews. They wanted to kill the spirit of Jews. Lashkicham Tera Secha. No problem, you have Torah. Wisdom, philosophy, ideology. But Torah Secha, why are you making it holy? The pure olive oil, that's holy, untouched. To have them wander off with this way to leave and abandon. Not just mitzvahs as moral, ethical laws, but that is God's will. They wanted to eliminate the God part. So it was a Ruchni war. The war was about light, about Ner Mitzvah the candle of a mitzvah and the light of Tere. So that's why. It's not incidental. That was what the war was about. That's why we honor it by lighting the flames. What is it? How does it translate in our times today? something I've emphasized in the previous programs. We are not here just to fight an enemy and eliminate an enemy. 
That's not the reason that Neshama came down to this world, is to eliminate darkness and eliminate uh, hostile forces that are hostile to God. That's step one. We're here to transform the world into a world of light and love and godliness, a world of Mashiach and Geula. To do that, there are times that you have to actually fight an actual battle and war. And everything that comes with it. But the goal is part of a shalom, nafsh. Like you see a flame. A flame doesn't go to war with darkness. A little light dispels darkness automatically. It's not like fire and water, two adversarial forces. Enough water can extinguish the greatest fire, and enough fire can evaporate great bodies of water. There there's a struggle, there's a battle. Light, a dark room, turn on, light a candle. Automatically, naturally, it will dispel the darkness in that area. If it's a large room, you need more light. Our goal is to bring light into this world. There are times that you have forces that don't allow you to do so. So obviously you need to deal with that. But the ultimate goal is a goal of the Hanukkah goal, a manera that will shine through the entire world with ner mitzvah v'teda er. So it's also a lesson we're not just fighting an enemy, we're also fighting for something that transcends the enemy, that's even greater and stronger. That's where our passion is. So you need to stop the bleeding, like in any situation, but then you want to bring health into the picture. You don't just want to go back to square one. You don't just want damage control. You want to build a better world. And that's what we fight for, and that's what Jews have always fought for from the beginning of time. Like I said earlier, the Al-Tarebbe didn't just continue what he was doing. He did it with far more elaboration and far more fervor and passion and expansiveness. That's the only way we redeem those short moments, those temporary moments of pain. Not just we eliminated it, we redeem it. That the pain ultimately led to greater good, to greater light. And that's why you find Hanukkah in so many ways, even though it was rededicating the menorah in the temple. But look, it has differences. The menorah in the temple had seven candles, had seven branches. Hanukkah we light eight. The menorah in the temple was lit in the morning. Hanukkah we light in the evening. The menorah was lit inside the temple. Hanukkah we light al pesach beisim bachutz by the door going outward, because all these things indicate not just to return the light that was there that they had desecrated. The Greeks, the Syrians but that you create even more light. Eight, not just seven. The transcendent number, Shemer HaSahekev. We call also, we illuminate the darkness. And in the evening, when the sun sets, which also represents a darker state of being, a darker state of consciousness. So, and the Ramban says, those amazing words, in Pasha Ba'aleischa, that the Meneri, even though it was a Ne'er Tamid, an eternal flame, ultimately was extinguished, tragically, when the temple was destroyed. But these candles of Hanukkah, they never disappear. We've continued to light them for all these thousands of years, even after the temple was destroyed. You could say, but the menorah of Hanukkah is only coming to renew or rededicate the menorah that was there already. And yet it comes stronger because the darkness makes us stronger. So our, our enemies, 
our adversaries, our challenges. The more you challenge, the more we blossom, the more we thrive. That's the story. So Hanukkah has obviously tremendous lessons. And I would encourage everyone to share them with everyone you meet. And I hope people in the military, the IDF and Sahal are listening to this. I hope they hear it from other messages as well. But that's what needs to ring this Hanukkah. The message of that powerful light, the powerful light that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be eliminated. It continues to burn as we see and will continue to burn forever into the Mashiach and Geul and then it will be a permanent and the Bishamidish will be renewed and the Menera then will be a Ner Tamid forever. Now about Hanukkah, a bunch of questions came in, some related to the war, some not so related, but I'll let me go through a few of them. Being that next week is also Hanukkah, so I'll leave some for next week. I'm going to cover everything, again, due to time limitations. So, let's, let's read a few. Questions asked, what is the spiritual difference between the wick, the oil, and the, and the flame they produce? There are many teachings of Chassidus that use the analogy of how wick and oil work together to produce a flame to explain what our souls accomplish when we do mitzvahs. Can we ask Rabbi Jacobson to please expound on this and explain it in simple terms? Thank you. Well, indeed, as you may know, I give a class every morning, 9.30 Eastern Time, on Sundays, 10 a.m., which you're all welcome to participate in. It's live on Zoom and YouTube. You go to, go to chassidahsupply.com and you'll find the details. So I'm actually, actually learning my morim about this topic. A mimer from the Alter Rebbe. Mika Hashem Lekenu HaMagbiyah L'Shevus A mimer that he said Chanukah in the year Tov Kuf Samach Vov which is the equivalent of 1795 um, seven, I'm sorry, 1805. And then there's a mime of the Mitla Rebbe, and upon that is based the, Hemsha, the end of Hemshachayim Beis. And just briefly, there he talks about one of the ways he explains it, that the wick is the divine soul as it manifests in the body and in this physical world, the body and animal soul and the physical world. The oil, interestingly, is the wisdom, the intelligence, Chochmah, of the Nefesh Abamis, human intelligence. And the goal is for the divine soul to educate and train and harness the oil, that wisdom, human wisdom, human intelligence, to godliness instead of to its own self-interest. And create with both sides of your heart, the right and the left. And that creates the flame Ne'er Hashem, Nishma Sodom, the flame of the divine, combination of the wick of the Nefesh Alikis, drawing, literally drawing as we know, it absorbs the oil and through that creates the flame. There are other explanations given as well, but that's one. So when we begin to bench Hanukkah, when we begin to celebrate and bench Hanukkah, 
Friedrich Rebbe's words, but after Tzuhern was the Lichtelech that sailed. We need to listen to what the flames tell us. They tell us many messages. And these are some of them. And again, relevant to our time. So study it. You look at the Meneri, you see. You see the light's power over darkness. You see the transformation of oil that could have gone in any direction being used to become a mitzvah. And then their mitzvah, as he explains, adds to that. That's what I said in the show. What I said till now is what he explained, how he explained the neshama on its own. Then the neshama armed with a mitzvah, with mitzvahs, ner mitzvah. And the tereir creates not just a ner, but also a er, all the way to ere self lifting at simsim, the highest possible divine energy, all generated from below. So that's one application. Okay. Another question is, can God make miracles? Can God make miracles as he has done in past wars, or does he want us to do the fighting ourselves? Well, look, Hanukkah, there was a war. Of course God can make miracles, and he did make miracles, but many of these miracles are giving us the power to do what we have to do. We're not winning the war on our own. But Hashem wants, for whatever reason, that we should use our resources to fight the war with God's kayach. So there are times where you have where Hashem just did the battle himself. But that's rarer times. In general, it goes more that there's a partnership here. Hashem gives us the kayachs to fight. We fight, we do our part, and Hashem blesses that we should be victorious. He says to the Muhammad, But you went out to war, and you waged war with the power that God gives us. That's how it was in Hanukkah. Al Terebbe too. He ended up in prison. God didn't just prevent it. But ultimately, it all worked its way out through the human effort that was blessed and was infused with God's power. Okay. Another question. Is the current war closer to what happened on Hanukkah or Purim? <clears throat> Is the current war and worldwide rise in anti-Semitism closer to what happened to us on Purim when our enemies wanted to kill us physically? Or closer to what happened to us on Hanukkah when our enemies wanted only to destroy us spiritually, as I mentioned before from the Lavush. I think it's, uh, the answer is quite obvious. Unfortunately, we see what's happened. Actual people were killed. So this is not a spiritual war alone. It could be, it's rooted perhaps in a spiritual war. Not perhaps, but definitely. But it's not just an idea. It's not just as it was Hanukkah. So in that sense, more Purim-like in that sense because Haman wanted to exterminate all the Jewish people. So just to answer that question. Another question is as I said I'll cover some other of the details later maybe next week's class. Is there a connection between chassidus and the oil we use to light the menorah? Okay. 
Answer is absolutely yes. And someone else writes, in some places, Teda is compared to water, and Chassidus is compared to oil, Primus Ateda. Is there, and sometimes actually, uh, Nigla Teda can also sometimes be compared to Lecha. I mean, there are different examples, but fine. Is there a connection between Chassidus and the oil we use to light the menorah? The answer is yes. Firstly, on a very basic level, in order to produce oil, fresh new oil, Shemazai is pure olive oil, you need to dig deeper. And that's what Hanukkah did, and that's what Yutas Kisla did. Secondly, the fact that they come right near each other is an indicator of that. Because oil, in spirit, on the spiritual realms, is the idea of the secrets of the secrets. Wine is sometimes compared to the secrets, and oil is the secrets of the secrets. And the connection is, again, it's the darkness that brings out this deepest level of neshama. The flame of the soul. The oil that feeds it. Okay. And there are many sikhs and letters from the Rebbe that explain the, the commonality. So let's move now to another question, which will be a segue to the next section of this uh, discussion here. Is there, are the turncoat Jewish women marching with Hamas supporters, a reincarnation of Miriam Bas Bilga. To be more specific, Miriam Bas Bilga helped lead the Greeks into the Besamidus and told them the best ways to defile the Holy Temple and to inflict maximum damage. So the question is asking, is this, you see people marching? In fact, they're not just women, it's also men. So the truth is, these are questions that came in seven weeks ago when the war began about well, how we look at these people. And I have them like sitting right, right in front of me. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I didn't want to go there. So I feel, but we have to go there because it's a reality on the ground. How do you deal with that? How do you look at it? Now, we all know the famous sikh of the Rebbe with Miriam Bas Bilga, that despite the fact, yes, that she went to the Greeks and all of that, <clears throat> But still, the Pintaliyid remained alive, and that's why when she saw the humiliation, she saw what was happening to the Jews, she said, Lucas, Lucas, talking to the Mizbeach, how could you not protect the Jewish people? from We hope and pray that those people who are misguided, just put it mildly, should also come to realize what a Jew is. And we just hope that our enemies don't remind them. But what you're seeing is, yes, people can fall very far. And we'll talk about that more, maybe today, later programs. Hopefully I never have to talk about it. But it's an unfortunate fact. You have Jewish people who... For the life of me, I can't understand. Fine, you want to say that there's some things you want to criticize Jews about, Israel about, but to go up to the extent of literally like siding with the enemy, with Hamas, like with Nazis, is just beyond me. But you could bring this example. But then we have the other side of the coin. And let's talk about that now. Who is today's Yehudis? Another woman. Part of the victory of Hanukkah was because one of the bravery of Yehudas who snuck 
into the tent of the Greek general, and after he passed out from drinking too much wine, wine, she chopped off his head, and that demoralized his troops, and the Maccabees were then able to defeat them. Who is today's Yehudis that will sneak into the tunnel of the Hamas commander and chop off his head? Well, there are many ways to chop off the head of an enemy. There's the chopping off physically. There's also the chopping off spiritually. It says, The merit of the righteous women, the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. Yet another battle and war. And we're told that in the last generation, before Gula, they will be in their merit. Mashiach will come. So you could definitely say, we can take a lesson from Hanukkah, that the women take the lead role. Those that are in Abach sadly lost or misguided or brainwashed, nope. Hopefully we'll get to the, help them to clarify their, clear up their heads and figure out what the truth is. But meanwhile, who brings light into this world every, every Ed of Shabbos and Ed of Yom Tif? It is the women and the girls of this world. So the Yehudis is each woman and girl on, on, on this planet. Jewish woman and girl in Eretz Yisrael all over the world. That you're davening, especially you're lighting candles, coupled with the candles of Hanukkah, have the power to cut off and chop off the head of our enemies. Because light dispels darkness. <clears throat> so militarily, we'll see how it works itself out. But that doesn't absolve us from our responsibility. Because the more you bring Kedusha into the world, the more it chokes the opposite. It does not allow that to have oxygen to breathe. The language of Chetzenim comes when the Chetzenim, the negative, the evil, is feeding off from the Kedusha. So the more Kedusha you bring, you shine a light, what happens? The maggots run away. So that's the way you behead the enemy in our times. And that can counter the Miriam Bas Bilgo that may exist. Okay. Is there a connection in all this to Mashiach? Absolutely. First of all, we've always been waiting for Mashiach, and everything is leading to Mashiach. But especially now, the Rebbe's words 30 years ago, that were at the threshold, and quoting Midrashim, Higizman So, how much more so now? I understand the question why it didn't happen then, and how are we so sure? Well, we will reach there, and every minute is a minute closer. And we know behind the scenes, what it says in the Zoyas and the Medrashim and the Balaturim, and we've quoted quite a few of these places, that at the end of time there'll be battles with Bnei Yishmael as there were battles with Bnei Esav. And there will be pain and grief and fear. But then they will say, Bonnie Altis don't be afraid. Because I did everything I did for you. So they'll question all this is about the last the last residue, if you wish, the last uh, remnants 
of the sparks that have to be elevated. That precedes the Gula, like the Balaturim writes, and then the Chayis, Pasha Chayis Sada. Nofal, he talks about Yishmol, and then Elatel this Yitzchak. That from that will give birth to Mashiach, who comes from Bnei Yitzchak. So someone writes, should the fact that we are in exile, um, um, my mistake, no, that's not the question, the question, should, should freeing the hostages and winning the war take precedent over doing all we can to bring Mashiach? Am I wrong for feeling that I would rather see all the hostages safe and return before I see Mashiach? Mashiach is a spiritual sublime concept that I have more difficult time relating to than actual human beings who are suffering in captivity. Well, my dear friend, what do you think Mashiach is? No, it's not just a sublime concept. Mashiach is a world that's aligned with godliness. And a world aligned with godliness, all hostages are freed. So it's hand in hand. It's not like, okay, we'll do we'll fight a war and free hostages and then when we have a little free time we'll talk about Mashiach. The coming of Mashiach is, goes hand in hand with all of this. That doesn't mean we don't have to do what we have to do, fight a war, the details, free hostages, absolutely. But Mashiach comes right now, yet all that will be resolved. And when we do what we have to do, the other way around, we speed up the coming of Mashiach, because that's what Mashiach is about. Emes, truth, justice, what God wants, not what people want. So I see it as hand in hand. If you're so passionate about it, that's exactly what Mashiach is. Maybe you need to read or learn about it more. But that's what Mashiach is about. That's why the Rambam describes what's Mashiach. At the time there'll be no war, there'll be no famine. There'll be no more destruction and, and evil and destruction. Because the world will be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. What's the connection? Waters cover the divine knowledge? That's very sublime, Ruchnis. But Ruchnis affects Gashmis. Because that's the whole point, is to bring godliness into this world. And this too deserves its own discussion, and I have many questions about the end of day, so to speak, how the story ends, all connected to Gula. But as I said, we'll have to pace it and cover some of the things that are more timely and fundamental, and then hopefully I can cover it in the next week or next weeks. So let's go now to Pasha Shashavur. So in addition to Yitzhak Kislev and Hanukkah, we also have the Pasha. We start reading Pasha Vayeshev. And here, Bikish Yaakov, Leishev B'Shalva. After all these wars and the pain, they first he dealt with Esav, and then Lavan, and Choron, and then again Esav. Finally, now Vayeshev Yaakov. Yaakov returns to Be'er Sheva. Bikish Yaakov wants to live in peace. How much can a person fight? No, but it was not meant to be. As Rashi explains, the world is not yet at peace. Mashiach hasn't come yet. And Kovtzalov, Rugzeshel Yesef. Kovtzalov. It consumed. The Kovtzal means it like jumped on him. Almost like a surprise, a sudden, yet, yet, yet another tragedy where his son Yesef is taken from the Yaakov thinking 
Yesu was killed when in truth he was sold by his brothers to whom? Yishmaelim. Yeah. Yishmael is making a reappearance. A Jew sold Yishmaelim. By Yesuf Hurid Mitzrayim. We'd go down to Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim Begvulim, the limitations and the constraints and the fears and insecurities of existence with a goal that he would ultimately become after being in prison as well, like the Alter Rebbe, or like Alter Rebbe like Yosef. And he'd become El Legdullah, he'd become Mishnah Lamelech, the viceroy of Egypt, who turned Egypt into a superpower. And with that, the nation of Am Yisrael, the Shivim Nefesh, would come down with Yaakov and ultimately to Golis Mitzrayim, but then Geula, Yitzis Mitzrayim, and Eden became a nation, marching to Matan Teda, to Eretz Yisrael. So the story continues. You read it, it's pretty straightforward. Yet another battle. This time, it's between Sadikim, Yaakov and Esau, Esau was Esau, Yishmol and Yitzchok. Here is Mitasei Shlema, they're all Shvatim. And still, the goal is not here yet. Disunity. There are many explanations given. How could they do such a thing? Called Markafta Tato, they were a Markava of Elam Abriya Deshvatim, Shifte Yutke. So clearly, it wasn't just plain petty jealousy, it was deeper than that. But still, the end of the story, they will reconcile 22 years later. But in this passage, we hear about the pain. So it's very fitting to the events that we are experiencing now. But we have to remember the end of the story is going to be a good one. Like when they finally reconcile in Pasha by Yigash. And it's interesting. Yaakov and Esau, their battles begin in Teldis. Then we go through Vayetze. And two Pashas later, Vayishlach, they reconcile. Here too, Vayeshev begins their alienation. Then goes through Miketz. And Vayigash, two chapters later, they reunite. And as the Avteda there tells us that it will reflect the reunion that will happen when Mashiach comes, Eitz Yasef and Eitz Yehuda, Venasi, Avdin Nasi Aleim Le'elam, the Mashiach will rise and everyone will be reunited in the fullest sense of the word. So the battles rage on in this week's Passion. So it also teaches us that there are difficulties. Yasef is thrown into a pit and he's salty Yishmaelim. What's the significance of that? The significance of it is when the Eden, the Shvatim, didn't appreciate who Yosef was. And they, with all their justifications, that Yosef was, had incited them, that Yosef was going against what Mashiach is supposed to be because Yehuda comes, Melchizedek, Beis David comes from Yehuda, and here he's sharing his dreams how he will be a leader. So there were reasons, as the Shalom explains and others explain. But still, they left a child, a 70-year-old boy, their father's son, their own bro- their brother, in a pit. And they let Yishmael, Yishmaelim, buy him. Take him hostage. Literally, take him hostage. Part of what Golos is. But we know Golu, Le'edem Shechineh Ma'am, where Eid goes and Golos, the Ibishter goes with him. 
And Ebishter went, Ish Matzliach he was. He was a successful man because the Ebishter was with him. And ultimately, if you look at the whole story, it would lead to greatness. But at the time, it was a very difficult one. We were exiled from our land, and Yishmael has taken over at times throughout history. The Ottoman Empire, the different empires. But at the end of the day, the Abish, this is your promise, this is my I promised you this land, and that will be fulfilled. So the battles that we're seeing today with Yishmael, with Bnei Yishmael, immediately evokes the battles that were going on back then in the, in the home of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yishmael, and now Bnei Yishmael taking Yisuf hostage. But the end is that he's redeemed, and he becomes not just redeemed, becomes the leader, the Mishnah the viceroy of Egypt. Okay, so somebody else asks a question regarding the Pasha. Let us see here. What can we learn from the fact that they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites? So, just share that. Um, we know that the Golas is Golas, there's Golas of Bnei Esau, there's Bnei Ishmael, and the Eden were in both different Golias. So this is part of the Golas in Bnei Ishmael. So one asks, could the Palestinians be upset because they purchased Yosef as a slave from his 11 brothers? And Allah says all the property of a slave belongs to his owner, so maybe they feel the portion of Israel that went to Yosef, Ephraim, and Manasseh should really belong to them. <laughs> I, I, I'm smiling. I mean, it's really sad. No, first of all, I do not think that there's anyone, their conscious right mind from that world that is claiming that. They claim it for whatever distorted reasons. And I don't want to feed them with another argument that they'll say this. But remember... It's a soul was given to the Eden by the Abishtah. And it can't be taken away by anybody. So the fact that he was sold as a slave does not suddenly take away and give them a right in the promised land. That's just to state a basic thing. But I appreciate it. I understand the point. But it does, it does bring to light the connection that we can apply when we're challenged by Shmuel in one way or another and where the end story will be in a beautiful fashion. Okay. So let's see here. What else are we going to cover? So much, so much. So let's talk about actions. There been a number of questions that came in about people's actions, things we can do. So let's do it. How does separating challah help in times like this? So nice. What is it about the ceremony of separating challah dough that yields miraculous results? Over the past few weeks, there are a few stories where people convinced families of hostages to do this ceremony. And at the exact moment the women were separating the dough, they got phone calls that their loved ones were rescued and set free. Well, firstly, every mitzvah has power. But especially mitzvah of challah, one of the reasons that we do the mitzvah of challah is a tikkun for sadas. One of the opinions is that the Eitz Adas, the tree of knowledge, was made of wheat. And since Chava was a participant in this dissonance of eating from the tree of knowledge, so the way it is misakin is that she is given specifically this mitzvah of Chava. 
The same is interesting said about all the three mitzvahs that women exclusive that are, are unique to women. Chala, the Rosh Hashanah Chana, Chala Nida Hadlokas Neiris, or Hachain, that Neir, because she extinguished the light. So one of the tikkun is to re, is to ignite light, and the third is like the pasuk says that because what you did, Chava, she would suffer birth pains. Nida. The monthly cycle that's connected to purifying even after a potential life could have emerged. And what is the significance of Chala? Is to reconnect. You ate from a tree in this opinion that according to this opinion was wheat. Because you wanted to get to feel or know what God knows. So you created a certain separation between your identity and the divine, a dissonance. So now, take challah and remember God. Take a challah, the first, when you speak in the challah, it's not yours, it's not Like we take the first fruit, we show that the challah that we're going to eat is not ours. So it's realigning and reconnecting to the divine. So it's not a surprise that when you have this schism that has led to such horrible atrocities and hostage-taking and all that comes with it, and a mitzvah like this reconnects. Now you'll say, one second, so why are not all the hostages released? We don't know God's ways. We have to do our part. And everything we do brings more light and more goodness into this world. So I don't know the details of the story, but if indeed is correct, not surprising in that sense. Someone else writes, as far as actions go, would it be appropriate for couples to daven and ask for brachas for having more children in order to make up for the 1,200 people killed by Hamas. Well, the mitzvah of having children is a mitzvah regardless. Is, does it add a certain gravitas? Does it add a certain, you know, just like we know after Islam, the six million were killed, we understood, everyone understood in their heart that we have to become stronger Jews and we now have to compensate for the empty chairs, for the empty space that they left. Does that include having children? Absolutely. But I wouldn't make a declaration now, and let's go on a campaign, people should have more children. If you feel that way personally, definitely very beautiful. You know, when you hear about some of the people who were killed and the children that were born the last few weeks were named after some of the, those lost. I mean... How could you not cry for that? Jews recognizing, remembering, and naming perfect strangers. But they're not strangers, they're our family. So in that sense, it's an unbelievable schus. So my answer, of course. But again, I said, I'm saying like in a formal way, just simply something more personal that all of us can, those that are able to, do. But above all, it's not just bringing children to this world. It's bringing children that will be proud Jews. Educate them. Inspire them. They should be ambassadors of light. They should be walking menorahs that illuminate everything in their path and dispel all darkness. Dear Rabbi Jacobs, another question and actions. Thank you for providing so much content as well as clarity. A short while ago, a group trip of the hostage family, a short while ago, a group 
trip of the hostages families to the oil, things started moving and so many of them, of the hostages, came out. Baruch Hashem. Can we attribute their liberation to the Rebbe's bracha? I understand that the Rebbe wouldn't necessarily be in favor of the deal, but the return of 100 plus of the hostages alive, Baruch Hashem, some 50 days into captivity, is nothing short than a miracle. Thank you. And may we see the return of all of them with the coming of Mashiach immediately. Amen. Look, we Jews believe in prayer. We believe we go to that oil of a tzaddik, of a rebbe, who cries for us and prays for us and beseeches for us with God, will have an effect. I cannot, for one, know exactly, and I don't think anyone knows, what button you press that creates such a result. We all celebrate that every person who came out from this hell and was redeemed, reunited with their family, intact, have to go through whatever they have to go through to heal from the trauma. So of course it's a tremendous celebration. And yes, you can say thank you. It's very possible the prayers there did it. But I don't want to put it, in, but what about the millions of prayers that Jews are doing all over the world and the Tehillim and the Zdokah and the love and the kindness. So I think accumulatively all of it is going to have its effect. Like we said, there's the military war, there's the spiritual war. And we need both. So that would be my general response to that question. Okay. And with that, let us sum up. Bottom line is, as I began, Kola Esik Betera, Vedig Mils Chasodim, is Poda'ani, Kilo Poda'ani, Lubonai, like they redeem me, Poda Bisholom Nafshi, Mikrovli. So we have our work cut out for us. We have to be proactive, not just do it ourselves, influence others, inspire others, including Sheva Mitzvah for the entire world, to embrace the principles that the Ebrister gave us all to live a life that we turn this jungle into a garden. And with the power of Yutas Kislev and the power of Hanukkah, we have additional strengths and resources to finally cross the finish line. The Gula Amitis Vashlema. The toxins, the spirit of spiritual impurity, and all impurity will be removed from this world. There will be no longer evil and destruction because because the light of the of the wellsprings will saturate and completely fill the world like the waters cover the sea. So maybe use the strength of Yutas Kislev and the strength of Hanukkah to that effect. As I said, Hashem should protect especially in the Eretz Asherin Hashem al-Kecha b'mereshis Asherin b'achlishana we should march in the Poda b'shalom nafshi the permanent Pidiyah b'shalom of the Gula Mitis v'ashleim This has been My Life Chassidah Supplied we are here every Sunday 8 to 9 p.m. So I'll continue at Frelich and Yontif of Yutas Kislev and Chov Kislev and from that let's march into Frelich and Chanukah forever and ever light those candles like we never lit them before let us publicly proclaim it with public menatus again like never before 
This is the light of Teirah. This is the light of Mitzvah. This is the light of a Jewish people. And not only will not be hurt, but we will demonstrate our, that that light will shine and encompass and transform the entire universe. Be well. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.